Rural Americans disproportionately experience premature natural death outside of a hospital environment. Environment and access to medical care are part of the complex interplay between social determinants of health and disease states that impact this particular health outcome. So, how do rural communities identify this problem and address it? With continued research, personalized intervention, and long-term commitment. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 43 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hotshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So, Rachel, population health management, you have heard me speak about it many times. Mm -hmm. Uh, We attend seminars, and when this first came about as really a phrase in healthcare, uh, we didn't know much about it. And then we all started attending conferences and learning more about what all this means. And, um, you know, our our guest today is going to explain a little bit more in depth about uh, what all that means. But for us, we know right now at Hillsdale Hospital, that population health management is critically important for rural communities where, and many times, the health outcomes are often poorer than those in non-rural communities. Reasons we've talked, access to health care, all those reasons, the economy, transportation, um, leaving rural Americans naturally disadvantaged when it comes to their health and all that impacts their lives. That's right. And today we are talking with someone who has been spearheading an innovative approach to both research and intervention for rural populations. That's right, Rachel. Today our guest is Chip Purcell. He is principal investigator of the Lincoln Project uh, in eastern Arkansas and eastern North Carolina. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, Chip. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Chip, to start, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and the Lincoln Project? Uh I am uh, spent a long time in uh, as an executive in for-profit healthcare, and about ten years ago, decided I needed to see the view from the other side. So, went to nursing school, uh, became an RN, and uh, also have a master's in public health. And it became obvious that. Um, the healthcare system was very good at um, treating the results of a of a lifestyle that wasn't good. Let's call it that. However, mm-hmm. they were not very effective at creating programs that improved lifestyle or behaviors. So, um, after a few years of research, we came up with the Lincoln Project, which intended to be the do instead of uh, the description. And at this point, we are uh, involved in three counties in uh, Arkansas Delta and recruiting patients uh, thanks to a grant from the DHHS Office of Minority Health. Well, it sounds uh, very interesting, and and I know I look forward to learning a lot more about this project as we talk a little bit today. Um, so this is something, you know, that we do on each of our episodes, and we, we call it starting with the why. Um, so we've established who you are and what you do. Um, we really want to know uh, what is your why? What motivates you, Chip? What gets you up out of bed in the morning and excited about the work that you're doing? That's a pretty tough question there, just to get out of bed in the morning. It's a pretty difficult answer. <laughs> well, that's an accomplishment, right? 
It easier is. some days it than is. others. Uh, easier some days. But you know, Chip, one of the interesting things, though, before you answer this, is what I found intriguing about your introduction. You went back to nursing school. I bet you somewhere in your why you're going to talk a little bit about that. So what's your why? <laughs> The why is related to to nursing school, um, and that was kind of the um, beginning of exploration of you know, what what are we really doing here in healthcare? You know, um, are we effectively serving the population, particularly the rural population? You know, and fee for service. Has created a shadow population, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better word, and that shadow population is uh, generally minority, rural, underserved. The other part of the why was the solution in healthcare is generally we just need to get people to, to see a doctor. Well, there's a million people in the state of Arkansas with cardiovascular disease, one third of the population. Now, if every physician did nothing but see patients with heart disease, it would be years before they all had one visit. Hmm. So we have to we have to reconsider the equation. Rather than the supply of, of providers, we need to reduce the supply of patients. And that's what the Lincoln Project um, is geared up to do. So, you know, Chip, the Lincoln Project is really uh, an innovative program, uh, bridging the gap between research and intervention uh, to tackle the health challenges pursuing uh, and and plaguing rural America. Um, So just for our listeners and for my benefit as well, how did this all get started? We were looking originally at um, sudden unexpected death and as, as a marker for a potential intervention. And we learned quickly that in terms of, of mortality, defining sudden and defining unexpected was virtually impossible. So we got mm-hmm. this very uh, ill-defined cohort to look at. As a result, we stopped for a year in our in our intervention development and developed out of hospital premature natural death. And what that simply is is deaths occurred out of the hospital that uh, 18 to 74 natural death and we exclude cancer. And what that became is a proxy for need. And we begin to look at that from a geospatial approach. In other words, not looking at patients, but defining the population by a geographical boundary. Generally, that is as a uh, census block. And once we got to that point, then we understood what are the true impacts of social determinants? Because we were able to point to a specific neighborhood and say, uh, okay, there is a lack of, of food. Uh, there's a food desert or transportation is an issue or there are environmental concerns. And for me, and I think for a lot of the Lincoln investigators, it opened up a whole new world. You know, uh, 
social determinants, Rachel, is something that uh, our friends uh, to the south of us, uh, I'm not sure if you know uh, Randy Ostra or not, Chip, but Randy is the CEO and president of Prometica Health Systems. And uh, the first introduction that I had to determinants was actually at a Becker's conference uh, in Chicago, and Randy was a speaker. And Randy got up, and here I'm just this new kid on the block. Uh, you know, I came out of the government sector, and, and I'm listening to this. And, you know, the powerful message that I heard that day, and maybe we could have Randy on the program sometime, is really what he did outside the walls of the hospital. And to me, I'm thinking, you know, well, we got to make sure that our service lines are in place and the ancillaries are good. And, you know, here, here my administrator mind is working. We have to build dialysis, and we have to put these. And then Randy gets up and blows it all the water. And he says, well, all right, those things are going to run themselves, but let's talk about uh, the needs of your community. And what he said was they actually created a food co-op, and he created community gardens, and he purchased you know, some variety of things to uh, improve the quality of life of that community. And I, I obviously in our geographical locations were were more rural, and in Randy's hospital similar to ours in in as much as the service industry. Um, but when you look at the the geographical area of the rural population who typically do not have a lot of access uh, to food, even though there's plenty of farmland, right? So it's teaching exactly. it's teaching the poor uh, that are among us. Um, you know what? Are, how, how do you how do you farm? How do you garden? Uh, and what's the important things that you eat? And one of the things, uh, Chip, and, and and I know this isn't part of our dialogue, but one of the things that we did here early on after I came back from that conference is I was determined to go to every food pantry in Hillsdale County and eliminate their sweet cereals, their Pop-Tarts, and really start talking to them This about, is legendary. I hear stories about J.J. It, doing this. It is. And, <laughs> and Dr. Luparello, she is a pediatric ophthalmologist, was my cohort at the time. And we actually, we, we set on a, a two-person mission uh, to rid the world of free Pop-Tarts for the hungry. And because of the sugar intakes, and we, we see, you know, so much child obesity. And, and really, that was my first introduction to social determinants uh, as we look around us at the population we're serving. So um, very interesting to hear how it took off. Thank you for explaining that. The, uh, it's interesting that you, that you bring that up. We took it even a step further. And you know, as you can imagine, this is not particularly well accepted, not only in public health, but especially not in healthcare. You know, why are you out there in a community? You need to be back in here in your clinic seeing patients. Yeah. And uh, so one thing we learned in the original research is the devastating impact of social isolation. So we begin to investigate some of the uh, kind of community centric projects, if you will, that were um, held at community centers that were held at the local churches. And what you ended up getting was the same people that would go get an annual checkup, that would get a, um, you know, show up to get their blood pressure checked at the local food store. And that's not the population where the disparity exists. And by going door to door, we understand that we're dealing with patients that maybe just self-isolate. There may be uh, drug and alcohol issues. There may be uh, transportation issues, a lot of mental health issues. And uh, until we 
develop a therapeutic relationship with that with that group of patients, we're never going to correct the outcome disparities. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about out-of-hospital, premature, natural death, and also the geospatial approach. Because a lot of times when we think about public health, public health initiatives like this, it's more demographically targeted, whereas what you're doing is truly geographically targeted and the demographics don't really play a role in who in that community or that neighborhood that you've identified is eligible to participate in your program. So why focus on that particular health outcome as opposed to what we traditionally think of like, you know, obesity, heart disease, you know, you name it. Why focus in on the out-of-hospital premature natural death and why do the geographic approach? That's interesting. And it comes back to uh, the social isolation issue, but it's also an interesting story how we developed the actual intervention. I was presenting data on our sudden death project to the American Red Cross in Washington, D.C. at their, at their uh, scientific advisory board. And the gentleman before me was presenting information on ARC's home fire, home fire prevention program which you may be familiar with. It's mm -hmm. been very successful. And all they do is look at home fire rates in different neighborhoods and they draw off a few blocks, send their, their volunteers in and their volunteers do nothing but either install a smoke detector if it's not one there or change out the batteries. And home fires plummet 75, 80%. And as soon as I heard the lecture, I knew that was the path. Now, unfortunately, in healthcare, we don't have a little round white thing to stick on the wall and, <laughs> you know, cure diabetes and hypertension. Yeah, yeah. But we have amazing uh, people and community health workers that can develop a therapeutic relationship and be able to uh, bridge that social isolation gap. So that's where the intervention came from. And it allows us to do some interesting analysis so far as having a denominator. We know exactly how many patients, I mean, how many clients are in the community, and we know exactly how many are eligible for the program. So we can see what our community penetration is with simple statistical analysis. You know, for me, what uh, what makes this project most compelling is the fact uh, that you don't just talk about social determinants of health and talk about access to care and pass out some brochures at, you know, the local farmer's market. Uh, in fact, what you're doing is you're knocking on every door in these communities, going directly to the residents, regardless of their demographics, uh, and you're reaching them right where they are. And we often say here at Hillsdale Hospital, that is our number one goal, to, to, to meet you where you are, to reach you where you are. It's why we're building clinics in small communities where transportation is an issue and they can't drive 30, 40 minutes to the care here at the hospital, meeting them right where they are. And I think to your previous analogy of, of the fire services, you know, it's really taking this right to their front door. And that's what your project has done. So it's not just, you know, a bunch of brainiacs sitting in the back room, you know, pontificating on some data, right? I mean, obviously, you're, you're, you are a brainiac, but uh, what you're also doing is you're putting action 
and where where your research is, and you're knocking on those doors to make it part of it. So, um, you know, I guess for us, uh, that is a significant undertaking. You know, I remember when we started a clinic in Reading, I hired someone to walk and literally knock on every door to hand them a brochure about, there's a new clinic in town, here's the things that we can do, and we got some mileage out of that. But how do you manage that process, and what does it look like? I mean, explain to us how you would set that up in a community. The uh, core of our project, and it's where I put the credit for most of our success is our community health workers. And these are amazing people that, that are united in their, their desire to help people less fortunate. And uh, we equip them and support them in several ways. So uh, once the uh, geographic location has been determined, and they are armed with addresses and uh, to go knock on the door they have several things in their toolbox the first um, is a health science index which is a very unique wellness app developed um, specifically for our patient population and all it does is uh, administer a simple survey and then it allows the client to rank what's important to them, not what's important to us. And it shows every day two to three things that they need to work on. Well, I I don't know about you guys, but I I go to the doctor and have the laundry list of things I need to work on. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm working on none of them because, you know, Lord, it'd it'd take me a day or two just to figure (laughs) out where to start. However... We this share the same doctor. We must share <laughs> yeah, the same doctor. The same health <laughs> Right, right. And the, uh, the HSI has allowed this to become a manageable function. And as things improve, the, the priorities change. Well, uh, we get information on utilization. And on the back end, we get data that shows human optimization index. So... If someone is um, has very low uh, scores for sleep and uh, exercise, that would be a low uh, human optimization index. But we can see it improve, hopefully, over time based on the interventions that were that were done. Um, in addition, we have a social determinant package we're actually developing in-house with a couple of collaborators. We've tried several other ones that were off the shelf, so to speak, but the one we're developing, again, is specifically targeted for our audience and, and deals with things that we know are possible, social determinants, but also has a open-ended question because we don't know. And I think the, you know, the most difficult thing for a researcher to say is we have no idea. I mean, we've mm-hmm. done this experiment and there's, a, you know, a million pages of descriptive epidemiology. Mm-hmm. We really don't know what a lot of the issues are. So the community health workers are outstanding in being able to draw out even the most difficult patient to, to help us understand what their situation is. 
Um, then we have a unique telemedicine program called eLink, and that uh, is a bi-directional program, which is the first time it's been used that we're aware of, that the community health worker can act as a provider. So if somebody needs immediate contact, they can contact them through eLink and hmm. uh, talk directly to the uh, to the client. Also, they can facilitate medical visits. So the um, wow. community health worker would be with the client. And I think we all know how important it is for the client to understand what the plan of care is. And a lot of the patients that a lot of the population that we're dealing with, the uptake in a, in a clinic visit face-to-face is maybe 20%. And so this uh, enhances the uptake, enhances the chance of the patient being compliant, improves the outcome. So really, it sounds like the community health workers are almost like a, I don't want to say navigator even. I mean, they almost play the role of typically a family member for someone might be the person who's there listening, trying to take everything in, especially when the person's health condition maybe is affecting their ability to retain information or maybe they're just in pain and it's always hard to listen when you're in pain and actually remember what you were told and things like that. Um, But the community health workers are doing that. So they're kind of filling that advocacy role for the patients while also helping connect them to these services. So, you know, that can't necessarily be a short-term thing. You know, you're looking at this health outcome of uh, -of out-of-hospital premature natural death to identify your target areas. That's probably going to be difficult to measure until you get 10 or 15 Mm -hmm. years down the road. But there are those other things that you're looking at. So what does the long-term commitment or timeline look like both for the interventions you're doing with the Lincoln Project communities, but also for the research side of things? When do you think you can see measurable results for out-of-hospital premature natural death, but also what other results are you looking at in the interim? That's a good question. And changing the OHP&D number is a generational thing. We realize Mm -hmm. that on the front end. But uh, we can look at um, incidents of hypertension, diabetes, the chronic diseases, have we impacted that? We can in, uh, look at an important uh, function is just utilization. So uh, are people using the HSI? Are they there for their visits? The, the baseline that we use right now is 12 visits over six months. Um, but my own personal assessment of the program and has been from day one is as long as the community health workers are enthusiastic about this, then we continue. We'll support them in any way we can because they are the absolute key. And we want them to establish a trusting relationship, number one, way above any other outcome that we're looking for. And if you think about it, if we do that, we have the opportunity to have a whole lot of conversations about social determinants and health and compliance. If we don't, you know, that patient remains socially isolated or whatever their, their situation is. So, Chip, we uh, belong to the Health Podcast Network, and so you have 
listeners uh, throughout the United States that are listening to uh, and have access to this podcast. And a lot of those communities uh, that do listen, typically we find a lot of support in the rural communities, which is what our goal was, to raise the awareness of you know rural health. And so for someone that's listening to what you're saying today about the Lincoln Project, can this be um, replicated in other rural communities? And if so, um, where does that commitment start? Where do those communities begin? How does that work? Yes, um, the design was was developed to be, we could replicate it virtually in any rural community. And the starting point is identifying two groups. One is a sponsor. Uh, so we have had iterations that we've tried in various uh, areas, some in North Carolina, some here. Uh, for example, uh, emergency medical services was um, a sponsor, and they recruited community health workers, managed them. We provided the backbone so far as the, the applications and the e-link and telemedicine. Um, I think that's a that is a workable model just about anywhere. Other times it's been um, a community center or a community service organization. We had one group that was probably our most interesting that was purely veterans. Hmm. And they they were not especially geospatial defining their, their population, mm-hmm. but uh, they were able to identify the veterans that needed help and, you know, that connection among veterans is pretty strong and uh, they're able to make a difference. I think they were they were able to change the the health outcome for several people that were really spiraling down, particularly with heart disease. So you've been intimately involved in this project. You obviously have passion, as we can hear through your voice. Uh, you're not scripted. This is all from your heart, and that's, uh, I think, very important. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question off script, because uh, I have a script, and I have a certain <laughs> amount of questions that I can answer. Uh, and, and that question is, um, tell me if you can recount of all this work that you've been doing, do you have one of your favorite success stories? Is there something? I was literally going to ask that question. Are you serious, Rachel? Yes, okay. I well, was. Great minds I'm so glad you think asked alike. it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was so, going to jump in after were you. you. See, I tell you what. And so one of the things I think that can just really, to hit at home is, you know, what's the impact? And we can talk about the research, but what what would you say is maybe one of the success stories? I think the biggest, actually the the success that I'm most proud of happened last week. We had a monthly meeting with our community health workers, and the 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 meeting is generally just discussing issues that people have and and opportunities. And at the end, the um, seniors community health worker stood up and said, "We want to ask you a question." And I'm, you know, kind of a little bit hesitant on what this was going to be. But anyway, it turned out to be what I'm extremely proud of is that they wanted to know, could they come to work for the Lincoln Project full time? They believe. And there's no greater success as far as I'm concerned, because as we discussed earlier, 
if the community health workers are enthusiastic and see it improving their their neighbors lives then that's all the motivation i need to continue it's phenomenal and i often say in rural health uh, here in rural america that we're oftentimes doing god's work and i'm going to tell you what i've heard out of you today is certainly uh it's almost a ministry uh, the availability that uh, you're bringing to small communities, recognizing where those deficiencies are and trying to find him resources. Very, very incredible. So, Chip, once again, we want to thank you for joining us today. It was great to learn about you and about the project, and uh, we'll be posting some information about how you, if you're a listener, uh, can find out additional information about the Lincoln Project. Thank you for the opportunity. You know, before we close, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. And so we want to know, Chip, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? Uh, one of the best rural experiences I've ever had was at uh, crappie fishing on um, Horseshoe Lake uh, when I was a kid and continued up until I was probably 50 years old. And it was the most peaceful place in, on earth as far as I'm concerned early in the morning. And um, come to think of it, I hadn't been over there in a few years. I think it's about time for a return trip. <laughs> it's time to throw the phone away, the iPad, the computer, and just go do some fishing. Exactly. Yeah, you exactly. can find a lot of great things and a lot of mental clarity when you do that. Well, once again, uh, we want to thank you, Chet, for joining us today. And next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll talk about growing rural economies to support rural health care. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can also find us now on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ, Rachel at Rural Health Rach, and you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Chip Purcell, Principal Investigator for the Lincoln Project in Eastern Arkansas and Eastern North Carolina. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com.